Welcome to Dad Devotionals with Dave Domzowski. This is the place for Christian fathers, husbands, and those who love them to find the inspiration, grace, and guidance to help you live God's will for your life and finish your race strong. We share scripture readings, prayers, and advice to help you in your personal and professional life. Now pop in the earbuds or turn up the volume and let's get to today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to Dad Devotionals. I'm Dave Domzowski, and today we're going to continue with our book study on Raising Them Right, A Saint's Advice on Raising Children, and that's from the works of St. Theophan the Recluse. And we're working on chapter three and four. Chapter three is The Developing Child, and chapter four uh, talks about forming attitudes. So let me kick it off with this part. This is Second paragraph, and then a little bit after that, in the on page 36 in chapter three. And I think this will set the tone for our discussion today nicely. There is a certain special way of communication between souls through the heart. One spirit influences another by means of the feelings. The ease of exerting such an influence upon the soul of an infant is in direct proportion to the fullness and depth of the parent's feeling for the child. The centrality of parents. The father and mother, as it were, disappear into the child and put their whole soul into his welfare. And if their spirit is penetrated with piety, it cannot be that in some way this will not influence the soul of the child. The best outward conductor in this respect is the eyes. Whereas in the other senses, the soul remains hidden. The eyes open their gaze to others. This is the meeting place of one soul with another. Let the openings be used for the passage of holy feelings from the souls of the mother and father to the soul of the child. Their souls cannot help but anoint the soul of the child with this holy oil. Now, I don't know if you remember when you first brought your kids home. I don't know how you interact with your children now, but so I would I would say there are there's been more than one occasion where I haven't necessarily uh, gazed upon my children in the best light. Um, you know, I, I haven't, uh, I, I haven't anointed the, their souls with this holy oil as the saint talks about. So right off the bat in, uh, in this week's reading, uh, I stand convicted. Um, I know I can do a better job in just how I, how I help my kids, how I guide them, how I instruct them you know, make it more of a beneficial thing rather than daddy just yelling. Um, so that is something that came to mind when I, when I was reading this. And, you know, I thought back to when I, when we first had my, my son and my daughter and, you know, it, it was hard, you know, you're, you know, you're dealing with your first child and dealing with sleepless nights, especially my wife, cause she, she was breastfeeding and you're just dealing with a general shift in, the family dynamic, obviously, rather than just a married couple, you're now plus one uh, in many ways. And then, you know, my daughter came along and it was now we have two kids and adjusting to all those different things. But the same kind of brings us back, right? And brings us back to where our focus should be in, you know, being that, being having that reminder that we are their everything, especially in the beginning, you know, having that we are the child's child's entire welfare. 
And so to treat it as such, treat it as the great responsibility that it is and realize that we are, we are influencing their souls. And as we'll see their, uh, their, the beginning of their spiritual life, which actually takes place from the moment we hold them in our arms for the first time. Something else I wanted to touch on is he, he talks a little bit later in chapter three about, um, about, about food and, and restraining yourself. Um, one should not regard that the child is small and therefore in no need of such concern. From the very first years, one must begin to restrain the flesh, which is inclined to crude materiality and train the child to become master of it so that in adolescence and youth and in the years thereafter, he might easily and freely be in control of this need. So the need for food, which he says is the first requirement for bodily life. You know, <laughs> I was a, I'm a big Seinfeld fan. And when, when I first read the part where he says, you know, train the child to become a master of it, I thought, master of your domain. But it's true. You, you, you got to be the master of your spiritual domain. You know, he'd be influenced by it from, from Christ and, and, and from his saints and from the lives of the saints and from the readings of the fathers and from the prayers from the church life. But you yourself got to take that responsibility. And we have an even greater responsibility in many ways because we're going to have to answer for that uh, in front of the Lord one day. How did we help our children um, restrain these different temptations? How do we help build them up in the faith? How do we help give them the tools to battle against the enemy and against his demons? Um, whether we see those, we, we actually see them or not. I mean, they're there. We see it in our culture. How are we giving them the tools to help battle that and fight that in that inner spiritual warfare? Um, and then he talks about without noticing it, one can develop in him the love of pleasure and immoderation in food, which are the two forms of the sin of gluttony. Um, so he, again, he, this iteration of training one to deny oneself. And he gets into it a little bit as well with the movement of the body, which he says, uh, after enjoying himself according to his own will, the child always returns unwilling to obey, even in the smallest things. And this is if it happens only once. What then can one say if this is part of bodily activity is completely neglected? How difficult it is later to uproot self-will, which so quickly seats itself in the form, in the body as in a fortress. You know, he, he warns us not to give the child complete total freedom in his movements. In addition, there is no better training in being the master of one's body than by forcing it to exert, to exert itself according to orders. So, having the child learn to quote unquote, take orders from parents, but really to take direction from parents, because if you think about it, and I believe this is where he's leading us, but to me, what that means is we need to be able to understand that the church gives us things like prayer and attending church services, the divine liturgy, the mass, if you're Catholic, you know, various different services throughout the week and, and small groups and things like that. If you're in another denomination, you know, and, and then, like I said, fasting, I mean, we're getting into Lent pretty soon. The, the church gives us all these directions, not to harm us or to restrict our, um, our, our freedom, but to help us understand that the true freedom 
is found in this life of the church. That's where the true freedom is. So we restrain the flesh. We restrain our will so that it can be easier to follow God's will, not our own. God's dying to self early on makes it easier to do it. You're forming that habit. You're forming that mentality. And I know there's very many things in here that I know I, I don't do and I wasn't raised to do. So for me, it's going to be, oh, I need to do this or, oh, I need to model that for my son and my daughter. And, and, even, and even for my wife, I mean, you know, the things that we learn, me and her, we try, to, we, we try to incorporate in our lives and say, hey, you know, I learned this. You know, I, I see that, you're, that you may be falling in this respect. Here's what we can, here's what you can do. And, and you know, can I help you? You know, we, sh- we try to, uh, you know, sharpen each other in that, in that sense, because that's, that's what a good marriage does. Now, I'm not saying we have the, we have the most perfect marriage. In fact, as I told you on Man Up Monday this week, I was a little bit in the doghouse for Valentine's Day. I didn't, I didn't do all the things that I was expected to do. But the point is, we build each other up. And the same is, the same is true with what we're, what we're called to do for our, for our kids. Uh, another aspect he, he talks about here is the senses for the body. And he says the chief evil with relation to the body is love for the body and pitying it. This takes away all the soul's authority over the body and makes the soul the slave of the body. And on the contrary, one who does not spare the body will not be disturbed in whatever he does by apprehensions born of blind love of life. How fortunate is one who is trained to this from childhood. So we know that with the body, like right now in the East, in the Northeast, it's, it's cold. Uh, So going out there and subjecting yourself to the elements can be a form of bodily harm, let's say in a sense, because it's it's cold, it's 20 degrees. It's, uh, you know, taking a long walk, you know, your, your face stings, your ears sting. And if you're not wearing gloves, you know, you might get dry skin like I do. Um, but the point is, what he's trying to say is it, it's important for one to make a rule to train the body to endure every kind of outward influence without misfortune, whether from fresh air, water, change of temperature, heat, cold, pain, wounds, and so forth. Whoever has acquired such a habit is the most fortunate of men capable of the most difficult actions at any time and in any place. The soul in such a man is the full master of the body. It does not postpone or change or leave up or leave off actions, fearing bodily unpleasantness. On the contrary, it will turn with a certain desire to those things that can bring danger to the body. And this is very important. You know, when I, when I think about, when I think about the monks on Mount Athos or any other place, I mean, what do they do? They, they subject themselves without care to, very unpleasant situations. Sometimes, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're working out in the field or they're on their knees half the night praying. They stay up to all hours. I know there's, there's saints. I, I have them up here on my wall. St. Porfirios and Paisios. I mean, these guys barely slept. You're talking about, you know, a couple hours of sleep per night because they were so devoted to their ascetic labors and their, and living a life of prayer. And that's what he's talking about here. Now, I know not everyone's going to go out and become a monk, but he's, he's helping us see that, you know, being able to overcome these, the, the senses, the nerves, the, these annoyances, these, these, these petty things, 
sharpens our soul, sharpens our spirit, makes it easier if we're, if we're putting off our self-will, we're putting off these, these bodily senses and urges and everything. If we're able to control that and have a habit of doing so, how much easier is it going to be to live the Christian life? Which if we want to live the true Christian life, it calls for, it calls for a lot of self-sacrifice and a lot of denial of self and denial of our own will. And I know I looked at this and I read this and I said to myself, wow, one, how countercultural and two, I am nowhere, nowhere near living this in my life. And it's going to be a road, hard road for me to help model this for my kids, which as you'll see later in the, and I think it's in chapter three or chapter four, where that's one of the best ways to do this. (laughs) It's you as the parent need to model it for your kids. I mean, talk about doing a 180. Because even if you believe that you are uh, the, the, the best Christian out there, I always guarantee you're not doing this. Just saying. Um, so we all need to man up in many ways to live a life more devoted to Christ and one that is worthy of our children uh, modeling after. Um. By pleasant impressions, the body is pampered, and by unpleasant ones, it is strengthened. In the former condition, the child is afraid of everything, but in the latter condition, it is ready for anything and is capable of continuing patiently what it has begun. And he continues, such an attitude toward the body is prescribed by the science of raising children. Here we will only indicate how these counsels are useful also for the, for the development of Christian life. Because the, the zealous fulfillment of them protects the entrance into the soul from the evil poison of sensual enjoyments, of self-will, of love for the body and self-pity. And it forms in the child the dispositions which are opposite to these, and in general trains him to be the master of his body and not to be in submission to it. And this is very important in the Christian life, which by its nature is remote from sensuality and every kind of pleasing of the flesh. Uh, one of the things my wife and I recently talked about is how, you know, I, I have, <clears throat> I have dead devotionals, but I also have runthemoney.com and a couple other things within that umbrella that I'm trying to work on. And one of my biggest problems has always been s- sacrificing sleep <laughs> to, uh, to try to, to get ahead with some of these other projects. And my wife and I were talking about it and Reading, reading this aspect, it's very important in the Christian life by its nature is remote from sensuality and every kind of pleasing of the flesh. I mean, when I say to myself, you know what, I'm not going to stay up tonight to try to get this project done, to try to get ahead, to try to help my family get ahead financially. I am, you know, that culminates over years and years and years and years of, of, you know, me not living out my desire for financial freedom, my desire for, uh, you know, working for myself. So by not doing that, it's compounded to where, you know, I'm still very much, you know, beholden to going out and, uh, and, and earning a paycheck with a day job. And I know, I, you know, I like the job that I do, but I've always had this desire, but I've never been able to overcome my own my own will to, to, to do it. Now, you know, you can say what you want about 
the desire for financial freedom. You know, maybe I maybe I've made an idol of it, things like that. But in terms of devoting myself and putting off my own comforts, if you will, uh, you know, I, I've I've hurt this progress. And the same is true in in my prayer life, in in not you know praying as often as I should, not not uh, not fasting how I should. Uh, you know, I haven't been able to put off those that those comforts that that the body seeks. So I understand exactly where the saint's coming from here and how it becomes an issue later in life. He also says this, the body is the dwelling place of the passions and chiefly of the fiercest ones, such as lust and anger. It is also the organ through which the demons penetrate into the soul or come to settle near it. It goes without saying that in this process, one must not leave out sight, out of sight the influence of church life and everything in it that affects the body. For by this, the body itself will be sanctified and the greedy, greedy animal life of the child will be restrained. You think about, you just watch Netflix, right? You'll see uh, the, the chiefly fierce passions of lust and anger all day. I mean, if it doesn't make it into the, the series or the movie, it's probably not going to last, right? Because we're captivated by this stuff as human beings. We're captivated by the visual nature of this, right? He's saying you got to root it out at the beginning, very beginning, and not to do so casually. But it, it sounds like you got to take the, uh, the surgeon's tools and cut it out before it even has a chance to metastasize. He, he continues with, together with the manifestation of bodily needs, the lower capabilities of the soul are also not slow in expressing themselves in their natural order. The child begins to look more closely at one object or another, at one more and another less, as if one pleases him more and another less. These are the first beginnings of the exercise of <clears throat> the exercising of the senses, after which there follows immediately an awakening of the activity of imagination and memory. These capabilities stand at the transition point between the activity of the body and that of the soul, and the two act together so that what is done by the one is immediately communicated to the other. And then he talks about, you know, our first impressions of things and how, why shouldn't we make these first impressions be of sacred objects? And he says, the icon and the light of the lamp for the eyes and sacred hymns for the hearing. I know that my son and daughter my son, especially, and, I, and hopefully we'll see with my daughter, but my son, he's six. So we're starting to see some of the effects. Now we weren't, we aren't perfect in our church attendance, but we see his reverence for the icons. We see his curiosity for the faith, for the lives of the saints. When, when I, when I share that, I try to do it a couple times a week. I should be doing it every night, but I, I haven't always kept up with the habit, but they are curious and they do, they do want to hear these things. They do want to share them and understand them. Um, my, one of the churches we attended for a little while, my, my daughter saw the long beard on the, on the priests and she, she would call him Jesus. She thought, she thought that was Jesus right there. 
Now, obviously, he's a he's the representative. He's a you know he's 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 standing before the throne of God for all of us on our behalf. But um, it's just it's amazing what they remember. It's amazing what they pick up on, and not to not to take that with a grain of salt. Like, be intentional with it. That's the theme of like this podcast. It seems like in season three, be intentional with it. Um, help help your kids show up as Christians by, by taking them to church, by showing up in the faith yourself, not in, on just Sunday, not on just that morning in those couple of hours of, of, uh, uh, of service and fellowship, but every day and every moment. And I know it's hard because I know what the ideal is too, but again, seeing it in the text, I know how far from it I really am. It is well known how powerfully corrupt images act upon the soul, no matter in what form they might touch it. How unfortunate is the child who closing his eyes or being left alone and going within himself is stifled by a multitude of improper images, vain, tempting, breathing of the passions. This is the same thing for the soul as smoke is for the head. One should not likewise one should likewise not neglect the manner in which these powers act. What the senses do is to see, to hear, to feel, in general, to experience, to test. This is why they are the first arousers of curiosity, which later, because of them, goes over into the imagination and memory, and having acquired a seat in them, becomes an unconquerable tyrant for the soul. While it's impossible to avoid curiosity, which is an irresistible inclination to see and hear without purpose, what is being done where and how things are. Investigation is already inevitably curiosity. And he continues about talking about curiosity and how it shouldn't be without aim. It should be a focused curiosity. And as I was alluding to with my son, you know, a focus on the inner workings of the faith. So he says about talk, figuring out how to save the child from, the script, from distraction, even in the midst of what is allowed, training him to be the master of the senses and through them the imagination. And he will not jump from one thing to another without need, nor consequently, consequently will he dream and be distracted by images and thereby give no rest to his soul, muddying it with the ebb and flow of his loose fantasies. One who is unable to master the senses and imagination will inevitably be distracted and inconstant, being overcome by curiosity, which will chase him from one subject to another until he is exhausted and all this without fruit. And that I, I put in, if you're seeing this on video, I put me. Because going back to what I was telling you with my, my goal to try to work for myself completely, uh, I was always, I always succumbed to the distractions. And even not even just from my work, but even in my work. Oh, I was checking out this idea over here or this project over here or this concept over here, going from this marketing tactic to this one and this one. And for my life, that's a great example of not being focused. And then if I can try to figure out how to do that in my prayer life, I can hopefully, God willing, if it's something he wants me to do, be able to do it elsewhere. I believe this podcast is something it wants me to do. So he always makes sure I find the time <laughs> to do this. And I, and I, I love sharing these things with, with, uh, with you, my brothers anyway. So it's a, it's a joy for me. 
But the point is having that focus and, and giving kids that, that, that gift, that gift of focus uh, early in life is really a true blessing. And let's, we're going to close out this section with this. A passion which reveals itself more frequently than others should be treated with special attention because it become the ruling element in the child's life. So that is something we want to make sure we put a pin in if we identify something. And then finally, when the child begins to understand, the general means of fighting passions can be used. One must arm oneself against the passions from the beginning and persecute them thereafter for the whole time of upbringing so that the child might be able and might become accustomed to mastering them for their disturbing attacks will not cease to the end of one's life. All right, we're going to pick up here now with chapter four, forming attitudes. And this is where what I was talking about before about modeling, this is where this comes into play. He says, Parents often speak among themselves. Children overhear and almost always assimilate not only the ideas, but even turns of speech and gestures. Therefore, let parents, when they talk, call things always by their proper names. Let parents talk with their children and explain to them either directly or best of all, by means of stories. In a short time, by this simple means, one may communicate sound principles for judging about things, and these principles will not be erased for a long time and may remain for life. In this way, worldly thinking and evil, insatiable curiosity are suppressed at their very root. Truth binds the mind to what satisfies it, but worldly thinking does not satisfy and therefore ignites curiosity. One does a great favor to children by saving them from this worldly thinking. Truth is accessible to everyone. That a small Christian child is wiser than philosophers has been shown by experience. This experience is repeated sometimes today, but in earlier times, it was everywhere. everywhere. And it, I actually put in the margin for this, never today. I don't hear about this kind of thing at all today. Once in a while, you might hear about it in the lives of the saints. But um, yeah, I don't see this happening. And, I, and for many reasons, I, I think it's in many ways by design. Um, then he gets into the will. The child has many desires. Everything catches his attention, attracts him and gives birth to desires. Um, but then he talks about, they should be put in such a frame of mind that they even fear their own will. This disposition will be most fortunate. At the same time, it is the easier one to be imprinted since children for the first part do address their questions to adults, realizing their own ignorance and weaknesses. This state of affairs has only to be elevated and placed as an absolute law for them. So fearing your own will, because, you know, the way I, the way I would think about that is because you're not sure that what you're desiring is right for you. So by, you know, outsourcing that in many ways to your parents in the beginning is a good thing for the child to do. And then it gets them accustomed to doing it for superiors, which is, is a great lesson in humility, but then, but obviously ultimately to God sacrificing your will for his, and then learning that concept, that lifeline of humility, because then you'll be able to do that and show love for God and for others, which is the ultimate 
goal here. While accustoming a child not to do his own will, one must also train him to do good. For this, let the parents themselves furnish a fine example of good life. Oh boy. <laughs> and acquaint their children with people whose chief concerns are not pleasures and, aw- and awards, but the salvation of the soul. Children love to imitate how, how early they learn to copy a mother or father. And as a sidebar, for better or worse, because I know my kids are already copying my poor habits and, and turns of phrases, let's say. <laughs> Here there occurs something similar to what happens with identically tuned instruments. At the same time, one must in- inspire the children themselves to do good deeds. Opportunities for them occur every minute. One has only to use them. And doing good might be and doing good must be taught just like everything else. The most effective means, this is where he starts talking about the heart. One must not allow um, things like sensuality and, uh, you know, not, not being focused on God to take root. One must not allow this. One must guard the heart. The most effective means for the education of true taste in the heart is a church-centered life in which all children in their upbringing must be unfailingly kept. Sympathy for everything sacred, pleasure in remaining in midst for the sake of quietness and warmth, separation from what is bright and attractive in worldly vanity. All this cannot be better imprinted in the heart than by a church-centered life. The church building, church singing, icons, these are the first objects of fine art in content and power. But he continues here on page 55, but the chief thing is that one should form in children an attitude of conscientiousness and awareness. Awareness is something extraordinarily important in life, but however easy it is to form it, it is just as easy to stifle it in children. The will of the parents for small children is the law of conscience and God. Let parents, in accordance with their best understanding, give their commands in such a way that children are not forced to be transgressors of their will, and if they have become such, they should be disposed as much as possible for repentance. It goes without saying that all this will concern only ordinary things, but what is good is that here a foundation is placed for a future constant and truly religious character to rise up immediately after a fall. And there is formed the capability of speedy repentance and cleansing or renewing oneself by tears. We have given here the order of a child's life. Let a child grow in it and the spirit of piety will develop more in him. The parents should follow all the movements of the child's awakening powers and direct everything to a single end. This is the rule. Begin with the child's very first breath. Begin everything at once and not just one thing. Do this all unceasingly, even evenly, by degrees, without jumps, with patience and with expectation, observing a, a wise gradualness, taking note of the sprouts and making use of them, considering nothing unimportant in such an important manner. Raising them right, St. Theophan's advice to us, just as relevant today as in years past. Um, I do want to give a shout out to the team at Faith Tree for their development of the Encounter app. Because if you want to talk about developing habits in your children, what better way to do so than prayer? Uh, Prayer together, especially if it comes to if you're Orthodox, the morning 
the noon, the evening prayers, developing that habit and then modeling it for your children, allowing them to participate if they're old enough to read the prayers or even just a portion of it. Even just, you know, can they, can they light the candle? You know, you can get a battery operated candle to, to light before your, before your icons, if, if you're an Orthodox, but you can do this no matter what denomination you are, Catholic, um, Protestant, Baptist, whatever. You can develop a prayer habit with your kids. You can pray before everything you do. But the point is, we are called, St. Theophan is calling all of us. This is on all of us, guys. He's calling all of us to model this behavior for our kids and to help instill it at a very, very early age. And guess what? God is merciful. Okay, so if you haven't done this with yourself, you can start today. If you haven't done this for your kids yet, you can start today. You can break some of the, uh, some of the bad habits and form new ones. God, God gave us that ability. I think the concept in, uh, I don't know exactly what field it is. Maybe it's it neuropsychology, something like that. But the concept of neuroplasticity, okay? Don't think for a second that some of these things that we are discovering now aren't old news to God because he created us. So you can form new habits. The brain can change, okay? And in doing so, your soul and your spirit change. And they start to orient themselves more towards God. And if we are, if we are so fortunate to learn this stuff now, then maybe be a blessing to our kids and help them do the same. So maybe, just maybe, they won't have to struggle to do it as much as we do. I hope you found something beneficial in all of this, in all of my incoherent ramblings. Hopefully I have something representing a, uh, a, 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 an important thought. <laughs> if you get that from, I can't remember what, 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 what uh, Adam Sandler movie is that from? I can't remember. Just send me a comment. I can't remember, but that just came to my mind for whatever reason. Anyway, the point is, I hope you found it valuable. And if you did share it with another brother, because iron sharpens iron and we can all use a little boost in uh just in everyday life. So God bless you. I hope you have an amazing rest of the week. And I, I hope that you come back next time, you know, catch a Abbott Trifon on Fridays with Abbott Trifon, and then come back next time for Man Up Monday. And we're going to close out ra- uh, raising them right next week. Take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to Dad Devotionals with me, Dave Domzowski. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, And also email us at daddevotionals at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash daddevotionals and also youtube.com slash daddevotionals. Make sure to subscribe, like us, do whatever you got to do to stay in touch. Thank you for listening.